Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. We all know that new developments in technology move right along, no matter what the season. So today, let's look at some things we've discussed in the past to get a little bit more caught up on some recent updates. Let's begin with the onslaught of facial recognition technology, which we've looked at several times in recent programs. Recall that, for example, Customs and Border Protection, the part of Homeland Security that controls our borders, has a plan to scan the faces of all those leaving the U.S. in 20 major international airports within two years. That includes, of course, American citizens, as well as people from other countries who are here on visas. Some travelers apparently overstay their visas, and that is the justification for this facial recognition exit initiative. For those interested in this rollout, there's a whole electronic cottage on the subject in the WERU Public Affairs Archives. Back when this initiative came to light, Customs and Border Protection made the following statement, quote, CPB is committed to protecting the privacy of all travelers and has issued several privacy impact assessments, employed strong technical security safeguards, and has limited the amount of personally identifiable information used in the transaction." End quote. A comforting statement for those concerned about privacy, who, of course, have no choice about whether they want to submit to facial recognition technology or not. And, by the way, this technology is not only being used in airports, it's also being used, along with automated license plate readers, at land crossings from Canada and Mexico as well. Those photos and license plate images can be kept for, are you ready for this, up to 75 years. Recently, it's become extremely clear that whatever, quote, strong technical security safeguards, end quote, CBP may have thought it was using, the government is doing what can only be described as a fairly crappy job at protecting the images and personal information of Americans and visitors who cross our borders. Recently, about 100,000 license plate images and the facial scans that go with them have been stolen and placed on the dark web for anyone to see. CBP was quick to point out that it was not a CBP database that was lifted, but that it was data collected and stored by one of its contractors, an outfit named Perceptix. This, of course, is small consolation if you happen to be one of those 100,000 people whose info is now out there for anyone who knows where to look to peruse at their leisure. The famous bank robber Willie Sutton once was asked why he kept on robbing banks. He replied, because that's where the money is. So why might hackers, whether funded by some foreign government, by organized crime outfits, or just curious people with highly developed computer chops, want to hack into the kinds of central databases that Customs and Border Protection is guarding with their, quote, strong technical security safeguards, end quote. The answer is, because that's where the personal information is. We're not into making predictions at the Electronic Cottage about tech matters as a general rule, but here's one that we can all take to the bank. The bigger the government databases of personal information collected on Americans who've done nothing even faintly criminal, and without their consent, 
or often even the knowledge of Congress, the more likely those databases will be broken into and the personal data they contain used for nefarious purposes. Remember, you heard it here. And speaking of big databases of facial recognition images, the FBI's Face Recognition Database now has 641 million images in it, which is the equivalent of about two images for every man, woman, and child in the country. But wait, those are all images from databases of people convicted of crimes, right? Wrong. This database includes data dumps from driver license applications, passport photos, and who knows what else. The great majority of people whose images are in this database have never even been suspected of criminal activity, let alone been arrested or convicted. The FBI database went live in 2014. Unfortunately, this is not the case for the privacy impact statement that was supposed to be completed in 2012, before the database was even established. In fact, in 2019, that privacy impact statement still hasn't appeared, even though the database is now in daily use. Just how useful it actually is, is of course another question. In at least two reports by the General Accounting Office, the efficiency of the FBI's database accuracy in actually matching faces to supposed criminals has been pretty sad, a 20% failure rate by some accounts. While the federal government and some local police organizations are really gung-ho on the use of facial recognition technology, some localities are beginning to realize what an invasive and possibly unconstitutional technology that facial recognition can be. San Francisco has outlawed the use of technology by its local government and cities in at least four other states are considering similar legislation. Even the likes of Google and Microsoft are saying that there needs to be serious government regulation and oversight of the use of this incredibly invasive and, so far, not very accurate technology. Meanwhile, one of the other developments we've mentioned on past episodes of The Electronic Cottage is the revelation that all four major cell phone providers have been selling real-time location data about their customers, including E911 data, to all sorts of unsavory types, including bounty hunters, despite FCC rules against such sales. All four carriers, Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile, said, oops, we didn't mean it, we'll stop it right away. But of course, they lied, and several were found doing the same thing six months or more later. While the current FCC, headed by a former lawyer and lobbyist for Verizon, has done absolutely nothing to enforce its own rules, some customers decided that they were not going to stand for that kind of behavior from the cell phone providers who they paid for the service. As a result, all four major wireless carriers are now facing large class action lawsuits. The possibility of actually having to pay economically for their apparent illegal behavior has gotten the wireless company's attention at last. We'll keep an eye on these suits as they progress through the courts. And we'll try to catch up on other topics that have developed more since we last discussed them, such as electronic voting machine security, 
As the 2020 elections approach, surveillance of students 24 hours a day without their permission or knowledge, how smart speakers and smart TV sets in our homes are listening in on our daily lives, and more, right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage.